0: Hi everyone and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clue, editor-in-chief of Eater.
1: And my name is Daniel Janine. I am a producer at Eater. Amanda, it's been a minute. I have been actually out in in Maine, northern Maine, har- harvesting Ooh. on a boat, harvesting mussels in the snow. Um,
0: sounds yeah, very cold. I
1: was there for about three hours, really, In it, all in all. But um, it's certainly like I've been telling people that that's where I've been and it sounds tough.
0: <laughs> well, you were in Maine for more than three hours, so you were in the cold. You were just harvesting mussels for three hours.
1: Yeah. I also probably was harvesting mussels for like 10 minutes and doing logistics <laughs> for the rest of it. But that's fine. You know what? We're, you know, at we're just making content here and uh, it's it's about supporting the muscle industry. It's not about showing me being tough because.
0: Sure. So if people are interested and want to see this video <laughs> of you harvesting mussels or doing it for 10 minutes. Uh, Can we see that soon? Yeah, in about
1: a month. Um, If you do want to see something I've been working on, I've got a video that is coming online tomorrow or whatever, whenever you hear this, Saturday at about 10 a.m., where I'm touring around the Bowery Farming Facility, uh, learning how vertical farming works. And, you know, I think it's kind of the future. I think you sometimes accuse me of being, like, not gullible, but just,
0: just into whatever the new shiny thing is. Yeah,
1: I think a little bit uh, overzealous at the new trend, but this one, this one, I'm, like I'm keto is here farming. to stay. Um, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm into it. I'm into <laughs> vertical farming. I, I'm with you on that one.
1: Yeah, so I've, I've got a, a show coming out that I'm hosting. Uh, the working title is Dan Does. I think we both agree that that's a bad title. You think because <laughs> it's an ego boost, and which is funny because I actually. It's it's insecurity that makes me not like the title. Not that I, I think like it's suggesting that it's gonna be some kind of Tim and Eric silly experience, and uh, I don't I don't know if I can deliver on that. I also don't really like
0: well. I don't like suggest. My... I like
1: being silly, and not being told to be silly. You know, that's my that's sure. my knock on it. Okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. I guess my my knock would be just from where I sit. What if you quit tomorrow, and then we've built you up? We built up the show, and then we have to just get a new person, and we have to rename the show.
1: Well, that's actually flattering because that means that the thing is so successful
0: yeah. uh,
1: that it, it it's a relevant part of our.
0: You got to plan for the future. My
1: honest reaction to that is, um, is uh, unfortunately for you, or and is nothing. It just wouldn't even be remotely possible without without its without its star. So,
0: I mean, <laughs> so we might as well just call it Dan does. Yeah. All right, let's get to the show. Anyone have thoughts? Send it to us, digestateater.com. Any Dan fans? Please tune in to YouTube. When I when I hosted uh, that, I was
1: in this Tabasco video about a year ago or two years ago, and someone uh-huh. someone in the comments said, uh, "Who else is here from Eaters Digest?" and uh, <laughs> that got no likes, but it was it was exciting. I was happy to see that lone comment.
0: So listeners, please go watch and maybe even comment. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the return to indoor dining. I think we should talk a little bit about the weather, what's happening across the country with these storms, especially in Texas, and how the restaurant industry has played a role there. I think we're going to talk a little bit about delivery and ghost kitchens. Maybe talk about Guy Fieri. I think, yeah. What he's up to. And, and general
1: news. Well, uh, we might as well just we might as well just dive in. There are a lot of people that are asking for just some Dan Amanda hangout time, so that I think that's what you're going to get on this. <laughs> a lot of people. A, lot of, a people. lot of people.
0: Daniel, first, let's talk about the return to indoor dining. Um, there's a bit of a discourse happening right now about it, which I find interesting because the debate has been going on since about May, and not. That much has changed, in my opinion. So if you look at New York City, where a lot of the conversation is happening, restaurants were only open for a little while in the fall and then closed, now they're opening again. But in much of the country, restaurants have been open. Oh, yeah. they A lot of them reopened throughout the summer. A lot of them reopened in the fall. Many places were closed during the winter surge, but started reopening in late January, uh, I went to Boston recently, and they've been open since June, and now they're yeah open 40%. Austin,
1: te- I mean te- all of Texas. I don't think they ever they were briefly shut down, but they've been open ever since. Uh, Canada, which I always feel the need to fill people in on, is kind of <laughs> <laughs> actually I would say has followed uh, well, or Ontario has followed New York State's trajectory of. Mostly being locked down, and then having a brief window in the summer where they were open.
0: Yeah, Montreal has gone through a lot of very serious lockdowns as well, and like actual curfews where you have to be in your home after a certain hour. Um, but anyway, I think my point is also that the debate and the the facts on the ground haven't really shifted that much. Like the 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 notion of the debate is it is not strictly safe in terms of COVID Mm -hmm. to be eating inside. However, if you don't let restaurants open with indoor dining, you are going to lose businesses and jobs and people need money and people are going hungry. So I think those are the two sides and it pretty much has been this lives versus livelihoods debate in all areas of society, not just restaurants, since May.
1: In fairness to the lives, in fairness to the livelihood side of the lives part, I think, A lot of people, and I I subscribe to this, would say that livelihoods lead to lives, right? Like these people are supporting people who are around them. And also people, you know, people need, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you stand, where you stand politically, like you need money to survive in this world.
0: You do. Yeah, I mean, it's called livelihoods for a reason. Like people, people are going hungry. There is a food insecurity issue right now. And so many workers will say, I don't care. I just need to work. Like I will, I will work. Yeah. So let me work. Yeah. Um, Not to mention the
1: stress of the stress of failure, the stress of closing businesses, the stress of not having that time where you can be out of the house uh, is also very damaging. You know, that's a tougher thing to quantify, but like positivity is, is, is good for health. I mean, we know that.
0: Well, we talked to restaurant workers at the very beginning of reopening in New York. And a lot of people were saying that where it's just like, I need this for my mental health. To get out of the house, yeah. I, but so yeah. so there's that. But I also very much see that this should not be spreading. And indoor dining is strictly not safe. And we talk to the health experts, like my mother. I mentioned her a lot on the show. She's an epidemiologist in Boston. She's upset that indoor dining is allowed in Boston. Um, and we, you know, whenever we publish pieces on Eater and talk to all the health experts, they're always against indoor dining. The New York Times has come out against it. Like, I, I guess my. My point is I'm envious of anyone who feels they know the answer. I'm envious of people who can write the op-eds that say, this is bad. This should not happen. You are wrong to do this. You know, like Helen Rosner wrote that in The New Yorker. I'm envious of the restaurateurs who can say, I am very certain this is the right thing to do. I can be safe. This is what we're doing. And I'm kind of like stuck in the middle. Yeah. I think the other thing... That makes indoor dining unsafe is that, you know, you think about, I follow some restaurateurs like, you know, Eric Repair at Le Bernardin and he can invest or the guys at Crown Shy in New York where they invest in these crazy air filtration systems and they have top of the line safety measures and whatnot. And then you think about how many restaurateurs will not do that and do not have resources for that. Like I get signal tips all the time to the eater account from restaurant workers who are like, there's an outbreak here and no one knows about it. And no one's telling anybody. Um, when I was in Boston where everyone's just inside all the time, um, I stopped by some restaurants and they were just, they, they seemed so unsafe and it's just, it's hard as a diner cause you're yeah. like, I don't really know, but it's like, Oh, there's, no barriers, there's no ventilation happening here, everybody's, no one wears the mask at all, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're supposed to put it on between the (laughs) courses, or even outdoor dining, you know how you raise your mask when servers come by, if you go to a restaurant where indoor dining is allowed, no one's, no one's putting their mask on when the server comes by, and then as you drink, like, just knowing, (laughs) I've gone outdoor dining and had too much to drink, and people give me dirty looks, because they're like, can you stop screaming <laughs> and I can just yeah. imagine like people don't behave themselves in restaurants so I think that's the other X factor but I also think the positivity rates are important and in October when New York opened it was really low and I think a lot of the criticism that New York's governor is getting is he's opening when things are going down yes but it's still there's still a lot of community spread happening right
1: yeah I mean I do think that Cuomo the one thing I think we can say for sure is that Cuomo's rulings about these things have seemingly come out of nowhere. Yeah. Right. Like he was very much close everything down. And then he had that tweet where he said, we can't close things down forever. And that, I feel like that came out of nowhere.
0: Yeah. I think, um, I think we would all feel better about it if there was, um, Hey, we're going to reopen when we hit this level
1: instead right, of like, right, we're
0: going to reopen right. on this
1: date. People like to know people, whether they agree with it or not. If you set out specific guardrails, uh, I think that from a, Publicity or PR perspective that does. Yeah, if you say it's
0: this, it's this positivity rate versus this holiday weekend, I think people would have more faith in government's decisions. But it's just so hard because you also like so many of our listeners will have been impacted by COVID and have had someone they love who's died from it, and to even to say like, oh, I'm in, I'm open to this idea of this disease spreading more and impacting more families. It's just really hard. So I understand why people are wringing their hands. Yeah, over this.
1: especially now, as it seems like there's optimism surrounding the vaccine. Um, I do have a couple notes on this. I do think that the situation is better now than it was. Uh, the cases are obviously going down. The one thing that I don't feel like is out there enough is that I don't know. I mean, you read a lot of these pieces and they say like, oh, I talked to this specific person and they said it's not safe or whatever. I mean, maybe I'm just running in different circles, but like I have yet to find I have yet to talk to a business owner or an employee of a restaurant who has wanted who has been uh, who has encouraged the shutdown, who has said, I don't think we should be dining indoors. I cannot find someone. You haven't talked. I
0: talked to a lot of restaurateurs who won't open indoor dining because they don't think it's safe.
1: I haven't talked to anyone who is any restaurateurs who are anti indoor dining. I just have talked to a lot who. okay, here's an interesting one. So I was in Harlem the other day Uh and I was I talked to this guy who owns a coffee shop and he's like, man, he's like, I had covid. I don't care. Indoor dining. Um, but indoor dining is annoying as shit because I hate to be like mask boss. I hate to enforce yeah. blah, blah, blah. But he's like, okay, this is a coffee shop that has a couple seats inside like, you know, maybe 10 places to sit, but is a coffee shop with pastries. And he said the difference between indoor dining being open and closed, um, in this, what I would have assumed was a takeout business uh-huh. is, is that when indoor dining is closed, my sales are down 50%. Right. My coffee shop sales are down 50%. So it's like a lot of these arguments saying get takeout from restaurants.
0: Oh, no. I I mean, the takeout.
1: They may, they may. well, the takeout, whatever. They may work for us, right? Like we were like, okay, I'm going to go support Estella and get takeout from there. But I think that a lot of, I think that may be a blind spot is that people build in the restaurant like people aren't just gonna be like I'm gonna go support Estella because I want it to be around people are like oh I'm either gonna cook at home or have a restaurant experience I'm either gonna make coffee at home or like go to my coffee shop and sit for a second yeah so it's I, like I think we are missing that I just
0: want to say I agree that the takeout argument is a, is wrong because right. these restaurants can't survive on takeout maybe the businesses, it can help them float by. But if we're talking about jobs, you're not going to hire back those staffers for takeout. And a lot of these writers who've written some of these pieces are saying like, Oh, just get takeout and pay what you would have if you were going to eat out. And like, no one's going to do that. Maybe some rich person will do that, but like no one's going to get takeout and then be like, okay, well I would, I would have gotten a bottle of wine. I would have gotten dessert and I would have given this tip. So therefore I'm going to give, I'm going to add 50 bucks to this, like no one's no one's doing that and no one's going Obviously, to Obviously
1: it's not the same thing and I've been trying to come up with an analogy for it but like but like you're not going to pay $150 to watch a live stream of the opera, you know. Yeah, I mean people just Even even if you love the opera, maybe some people will. My mom loves opera. I think she would. Maybe 2% on, on right of people occasion. will do
0: that. But no but, but nobody else is. And it's definitely not bringing back those front of house jobs. And also If people are if they are strictly worried about safety, it's not safe to be a cook in a kitchen regardless.
1: That's the that's another aspect of this is these restaurants. I think I just think that they should either be shut down or allowed to exist on fully functioning at 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 some level, because, you know, I I think the one thing that every side of this argument would agree on is that we don't have the infrastructure to support these places in this time of crisis. Right? no they're not like if people we're are abs- being society has absolutely failed yes. these businesses yes. i mean i don't blame anyone because i mean i blame society i blame the government for not having these backup plans or these plans in you know a break in case of covid but we're not even close so it, there is just i don't i feel like people in making these arguments are, are are able to navigate around saying what really is clear to me which is like a lot of businesses will close and I think you have to be okay with that and the fallout that comes from that Yes, in service of what they see as the greater good. Which is, which is, I think that's a fine
0: argument to have and people, I I I think that is the point of view of these people. Let the businesses close, let these people not have jobs and have no safety net, but save people from dying. And I think that is a Mm -hmm. fair argument yeah, it's really hard. Like, If we had a government that did pay people to stay home and close their businesses, other governments have done that, uh, we'd be in a different scenario. But we don't have that kind of country. I think there's yeah. also in the quote-unquote discourse, I guess mostly on Twitter or elsewhere, I think there is this idea that, oh, all restaurant tours want to open for indoor dining and all food writers and food media are against indoor dining. I just don't think that's the case. I've talked to a lot of restauranteurs who are not going to open for indoor dining and don't think it's safe. Not that they care if other people do it, but they're just not going to do that in their business. And there are a lot of food writers with nuanced opinions. And I think there's this, it's a lot of restauranteurs are saying like, Oh, food media, they don't talk to workers. They don't talk to people on the ground. And it's like, we have journalists in 24 cities. They talk to food workers. They talk to restauranteurs all the time. Like, that is what they do. People contact us yeah. all the time. Our tip lines are oh, – like, you don't think restaurateurs are always reaching out to us and giving us their opinions? I just feel like no, that's I – Not and mean, look at the
1: comments on our Instagram. Yeah, I feel
0: like it's a very simplistic and not very nuanced take. Like, all food writers are so privileged because they can work from film. They don't understand the realities of it. It's like, they do. They do understand it. And we have so many pieces yeah. from food workers who say, like, I'm not really comfortable going to work, but also I need this paycheck. And it's, it's complex. It's not – Black and white. Just to shift gears a tiny bit. A uh, interesting thing I realized about Boston. Yeah. Because I was going to Boston. I was looking for places to dine outside because I'm so used to it in New York. Because in New York, we haven't had indoor dining very much. So, that yeah. you know, there are all these crazy structures all over the place. And you've seen it like blankets and heaters and a variety of sheds and open air things. And... I was looking on our Boston site for our guides to this stuff, and I hit up Terrence in Boston. I was like, where's the coverage? Where am I going to eat? And he's like, oh, we don't have that. Right. Because, A, it's very cold. And and they've had
1: indoor dining, They've had
0: indoor dining, so the restaurateurs haven't had to do that. So yeah. walking around, you don't see any of that stuff. You just see everybody. So like, what
1: the fuck? You're gonna eat outside. It's fucking cold out here.
0: Yeah. And so it was like visiting an alien planet where it was like, oh, people go inside here to drink and eat? Bizarre. Yeah.
1: Um a- another note on that is like, you know, especially when things started to open up. It's amazing. I don't know if you had all these I haven't eaten inside in New I've been inside restaurants like hanging out with people, but I haven't eaten inside a New York restaurant since they've opened for circumstantial reasons not you know anyway the point is it's so funny as people get vaccinated and as people start to eat inside i don't know if they will have these kind of delusions of uh early covid being like man when i finally get to sit down at a restaurant at a table with my friends or whatever never going to be on my phone it's just going to be like magical experience from start <laughs> mm-hmm. to finish i don't know if anyone's had that but like for me when i you know you sit down it's like wow this is lovely phones out in seven minutes like we we sure, forget sure, sure. so fast how much we've been through and we immediately just reacclimate. yeah and that sucks about being a human or maybe it's helpful maybe it's a survival i mechanism. think it's i think
0: it's probably helpful
1: Because like imagine just sitting there wide-eyed the whole time, like someone brings you bread or whatever, and you're just like,
0: oh my god! (laughs) You're (laughs) so close to
1: me. Man, the dude at table seven is a nut.
0: So I think this is actually a good segue, is we should talk a little bit about vaccines. Because one of the reasons why I think people were feeling more comfortable about reopening for indoor dining was some restaurant workers were going to get the vaccines. And Mm -hmm. you're seeing that push. Cuomo kind of He was very anti in New York and then the same week shifted gears and was like, fine, anybody can get it. He seems to just give it to whoever, whatever lobbying group asks. Um, So restaurant workers in New York can get it. Restaurant workers in Detroit can get it. Colorado is opening up and I think more states are following suit.
1: Yep, that makes sense. Anyway, there was a
0: story out this week about how – a restaurant worker in New York refused to get the vaccine when she had the opportunity to and was fired. And this yeah. is something we talked about a little bit, a couple of weeks ago about like, I think grocery cho- store chains and, and like restaurants like Chipotle, like how they were trying to encourage people to get the vaccine with, um, bonuses or paid time off, but how they weren't right. going to go so far as to require it. Um, So, yeah, this is interesting to see. Do you want to go into the details?
1: Sorry. It's a funny story because, like, I think more of these are going to come up where you kind of have to decide between being, like, pro-worker and Mm, Um, mm pro-vaccine. There is, it it, it is hard because, like, I think this is going to come up more and more. I mean, I, off the record, have heard stories of uh, restaurateurs offering the vaccine, like, figuring out a way to get their whole staff vaccinated like basically going through the paperwork yeah and a lot of people being like do we have to like especially people that have had it you know anyway there are various reasons so i don't know it, it is interesting but yeah let, let's get into the uh so
0: this happened at red hook tavern a very popular restaurant in brooklyn uh when the news broke that restaurant workers could get the vaccine The management of the restaurant told the staff that it would be encouraged but not required. And then on February 12th, the director of operations told the staff that it would actually be required. And this worker, her name is Bonnie Jacobson, uh, she's not anti-vax, but she uh, wants to get pregnant. And she's not totally sure that the vaccine is a good idea for her and how it would impact her fertility because the vaccine is so new, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I have not done any research on that, but I, I have spoken to people who have relayed the same issues, like they are going to wait to get the vaccine because they want to get pregnant. Um, so I don't think it's it's super rare to have that point of view, um, but it is, she said, she wrote an email to her boss outlining her concerns and then she received an email on february 15th terminating her employment
1: yeah and i think i think her concern was that the water was like slowly boiling for her there Mm -hmm. being that like they didn't at first didn't require it and then required it uh yeah i'll I'll leave the uh vaccination pregnancy notes to you um
0: (laughs) i don't I am not the expert here.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is tough. I will, uh, as a quick side note, and moment of levity. Um, chef Bun, who runs Red Hook Tavern, I think is one of New York City's best. So anyone the who what? hasn't eaten there. The chef at Red Hook Tavern. Oh, a guy it's, named great. Bun, it's great. It's um, great. Well, yeah, he, he actually worked at a different place, closed COVID, and then took over Red Hook Tavern. And he cooks Chinese food. And he kind of has slowly started to bring it in there a little bit. Hmm. So um, however you feel about this Definitely go eat a of Tavern. So but, uh, after she, I, I get, I get it from. Sorry, go on. I
0: was just gonna say after she went public with her claims, uh, the restaurant updated their policy to say that it's required, except in cases of quote a documented medical and or religious yeah. reason.
1: It can't be that hard to come up with a documented religious reason.
0: It's int- documented medical or religious reason. Um. Yeah. It's interesting. They're requiring all employees to get fully vaccinated within 60 days of becoming of eligible. It but yeah. it's kind of hard to get vaccinated. I mean, I've seen a lot of restaurant workers get it, but it's not it's not the easiest thing.
1: Yeah. Well, 60 I mean, maybe days six, is, 60 days is a decent yeah. window, yeah, especially okay. now that it's opening up more. I just think um, we're
0: going to see a lot of this.
1: If you're picky with your vaccine, it makes it more difficult yeah, if you're trying you to gotta get Pfizer. You yeah. got to get the
0: J&J and then you're good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. You know, we're j here. Well,
0: as a COVID, sur- as a COVID survivor, I'm going to be, I'll just take whatever.
1: That's so good of you. I don't you really know?
0: need the 95%. I just need a little yeah. booster. You know, they yeah, say wow. COVID survivors only need one shot if it's a two-shot regimen. So no big what deal. What a good Samaritan. I know. Uh, it's just going to, I'm just saying this is going to keep happening.
1: I, I know a lot of people are not excited about the vaccine. I, I mean, my personal stance is however you feel, it's like obviously a greater good and I'm a greater good guy.
0: Well, I'm very, I'm very pro vaccine and I think it should be required in schools. Maybe it should be required in restaurants if they're interacting with the public so much and it's a pandemic like this. Um, it's,
1: yeah,
0: it's a, it's a tough one because I don't think we've ever had to deal with something like this before,
1: but I kind of lean on. I think that businesses should be able. I think that they should be able to do. I think that they should be able to do what they want. I think if they want to be able to offer a floor where they say that you know people have had it, people have all been vaccinated, whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if you think about,
1: but it's such an it's such a new thing. It's such an you know.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard in that it's it's new. I mean, there have been. You just have to worry about the people in society who are most vulnerable. And if this outbreak is going to get to them and you can do something to prevent it, and as a business owner, you have control over your staff, like, I think you're right. I think they should be able to make that decision.
1: Yeah. It's just also like, I worry about, you know, the infringement of rights. It's just, imagine how much more, how much easier it makes Red Hook's life knowing that their people have all been vaccinated. Like, it's just such a breath of fresh air or a sigh of relief or whatever, some stupid expression, you know? It's
0: hard, though, because I think there is a lot of skepticism, especially in communities of color. And so if that is real and you end up having a staff where that's the division, (laughs) it's like you could get into that. I'm serious.
1: Oh, I didn't. It's not a thing I thought about. And then I was like, wow, a new a new, controversy a new a already. New, a new wrinkle. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first on it is <laughs> digest. All
0: right. So please write to us with your thoughts on this because I'm incredibly curious and obviously Dan and I don't have it figured out. Let's move along and talk about Texas. Okay. So as everyone, all of our American listeners know, there was a major storm that hit I don't know so much of the country. This week, and it devastated Texas, uh, where much of the state lost their power. A lot of people have lost water, uh, and it, it obviously impacted the restaurant community. One interesting thing I saw, you know, restaurants I feel like always play a major role in disasters because they're yeah. they're always there to help and and um, provide for the community. A lot of restaurants, at least in Austin, have become warming centers. Because if they kept their electricity, they want to open their doors for people to come in and warm up because so much of so mm-hmm. so many people have lost their power.
1: Yeah. Only if you're vaccinated, though. OK. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is amazing. I mean, just because I follow this restaurant Nixta Taqueria in Austin has they're just giving out food. Yeah, like just every I saw like f- people I know there were just in line Nixta was doing. Nixta's also so good. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's so it's hard to resist the impulse of being like, "Oh, a bean and cheese stew from Nixta." I want that." But um just you know, giving out food, having these warming centers. Another big scare is now that I think I don't know if the state or 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 an individual like region issued a boil water yep. Um, warning and like not all of the homes have gas. Yep. And it's just like, so what do you even do? Like, I know people. I, I saw people online going to friends' houses who were also completely freezing because the friends have water and gas, just boiling water, Ugh. and then going back home to their own. It's yeah, it's a mess there.
0: Well, and it's not just. A problem right now, a lot of farmers and ranchers are worried that their livestock will die in this weather. Uh, Apparently, dairy farmers have had to dump millions of dollars worth of milk because the processing plants have no power. Yeah. Uh, Grocery stores are losing power, so they have to scramble to find people to take their food. I guess hungry customers have been flocking to fast food restaurants and gas stations. It's it's really it's been really chaotic down there,
1: you know, but as usual, the restaurant community comes through. They do. Well, they really do. I mean, as much
0: as they can. All right. So let's segue into something less horrifying or maybe horrifying in a different way. Guy Fieri has launched a chain of ghost kitchens around the country.
1: Yeah. Silent, silent, but deadly.
0: Here's what I want to the inside and inside track on this story is that the traffic on it has been insane. So like we had, we published a story in our traffic, not the traffic on
1: the ghost kitchens. Okay. I'm
0: sure though, the traffic to the ghost kitchens has been insane too. We published our first story about this in Boston. Um, I think our Boston editor was one of the first to notice it when he's been opening ghost kitchens out of Bertucci's restaurants there for all my Boston buds, uh, Bertucci's is like a very funny, like, I don't know, mediocre Italian chain. Great
1: to some. You know, I've had some meals at great, Bertucci's. Yeah, I know. Great okay. to some.
0: I'm, I'm going to get hate mail for that. I, I love Bertucci's. They have amazing bread.
1: Well, that's uh, overboard. <laughs> Fair. It's, a comfort, it's a comfy place where you know what it's to fine. expect.
0: It's fine. Yeah.
1: It's better than Olive Garden. So
0: then our other sites started picking up on the story because he's doing it everywhere. And the traffic to those posted really well. And so... I think people are just very excited by this idea of guy Fieri food and getting it delivered to their house you know
1: what <clears throat> I don't even think like I again I support Guy Fieri I think I think I think he seems like a great guy and wants to do well for the world um you know there's a little bit of cynicism about like why are you taking market share away from other restaurants but cook your food sell your food what are we gonna do not you're gonna hold back but it is amazing that Guy Fieri has, um, the attention and and, a, and a, you know, he's got a firm grasp of both genuine and ironic fans.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Nobody dislikes him because he's also been so I... supportive of the restaurant community. I mean, you'll see insane things online like Guy Fieri has done more for restaurants than the government. Um,
0: yeah, he's raised tens of millions of dollars for them. He's always whenever there's a, a wildfire in California, he's out there cooking for the firefighters. I think there was like a group of haters against Guy Fieri a while ago, and then there was the backlash and backlash of the backlash, and like I think people have come around and they just he's just kind of beloved, especially in a world where we don't really have that many food celebrities now. You know, like we we have them, but what do man, you mean who know. are
1: who are alive and or like. It's societally acceptable.
0: I, I guess. That's what I you don't mean, ha- right? <laughs> I, I mean, there aren't that many food celebrities yeah. that are exciting. Well, it's also we don't live in the Food Fun. Network
1: culture anymore, right? So it's not, yeah. like, it's not like you couldn't name, like, who are the biggest food celebrities? Like, some people would say Dave Chang, and yet some people, a lot of people wouldn't have any idea who that was.
0: Yeah, like Ina. Ina
1: you know, is it's like these pr- TV yeah. people. Right. Bourdain was the guy.
0: Yeah, Bourdain was the one.
1: I mean, Batali Uh, was kind of the guy, was kind of like up there also. Yeah,
0: you're right. Uh, Interestingly.
1: uh, Well, because you need both. You need both. You need both. I mean, it is it is a kind of interesting. You need both. You need the the ultra mainstream Food Network audience and also the kind of uh, slightly more whatever highbrow media audience. And it's it's rare for someone to have both. You know, maybe Alison Roman is going to is drifting more into the mainstream and maybe she'll capture. A lot of the country, who knows, in terms of mm-hmm. newer people,
0: yeah. Um, interestingly, he's partnered with Robert Earl, who um owns Bertucci's and a chain called Bravo, Brio, Buca de Beppo. Uh, he can you please say those names one more time? Bravo, Brio, yeah, and Buca di Beppo. Okay, uh, so he's this big restaurant chain guy, and so guy. Fieri <laughs> is serving his food out of these restaurants. I mean, it's a way to keep his restaurants going too. You know, yeah, the Bertucci yeah. staffers are getting more business. It's you know, the the rise of ghost kitchens is a little depressing to me, just this idea of like flattening. But I still have the opinion that when things are back, people are gonna want all the experiences. Like maybe you'll get your Guy Fieri takeout one night, but you're still gonna go to your favorite indie
1: restaurant. You'll still go to Salt Bay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you'll still go to Salt Bay.
1: (laughs) Well, but just on that note, I mean, Roberta's Pizza, uh, which, you know, amongst a lot of people, a lot of people will tell you is like, you know, Brooklyn's best pizza or whatever, and and, and an amazing in-person experience. They, for a long time, were just the one shop, and then they opened in LA in a fancy mall. And now they're kind of, at least from what I've seen, they're the first ultra kind of trendy brand to open in, um, to open ghost only, uh, in a separate place. I, I, this is something that I think we've been predicting for a long time, which is like restaurants, which with huge followings will open ghost kitchens, uh, far away from their brick and mortar Mm -hmm. locations so that they can deliver to a much wider radius of people. Um, yeah. And Roberta's opened in uh, a space called Nimbus. Uh, it's a it's a kitchen space that in the Lower East Side, I believe. Um, so Roberta's is now, you can get, I can get Roberta's delivered, even though I'm outside of Roberta's delivery range. And I, I think this is just like the first, this is the first of, I believe, many of this, many yeah. instances of this kind of thing.
0: I'll say two notes on that. One Go note ahead. is I think there was a really important in between step with Roberta's, in that they opened at a lot of food halls. Mm-hmm. So maybe a decade
1: ago, or it's you're know, right. They, because of that, it's not the best example.
0: No, no, I think it's a great example because they were able to build up this experience of operating in, you know, a, a midtown food hall situation, or there was an outdoor. I remember when we worked in Bryant Park, they were they had a stall right, at some right, outdoor food right, right. festival or something, and I think that building up that experience teaches them how to operate away from their home base. Second point on that is this started happening in London a long time ago. Deliveroo, the delivery company, started building these ghost kitchens for restaurants. They would build these big warehouses um, on the outskirts of London. For these trendy brands to be able to get their food all over the city. And hmm. I think it's interesting that it's taken this pandemic and it's taken this long for that kind of thing to come to the US. And we're just gonna see more and more and more and more of it.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it wouldn't have happened without the pandemic, but it certainly sped things along. I also, yeah. whenever I say pandemic, I always say it in, in like a Russian accent, I go pandemic. But uh, I just, thought you should really
0: <laughs> how have i not uh, heard that yet
1: a pandemic
0: uh, i do have to g-
1: one more note in major in what a lot of people especially on clubhouse uh, are calling major 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 delivery news and it does seem like that doordash acquired a company called Chowbotics, um uh-huh. and Chowbotics are essentially like salad automated salad vending machines where you go and you pick exactly what you want in your salad it puts it all in a bowl it, and then you know drops it so for a long time DoorDash has you know obviously not sold food themselves and what they claim is that they're going to offer these uh, kind of robots to restaurants to help them streamline their processes but it, it is now the case that DoorDash owns food making owns the means to food making right so it is kind mm-hmm. of a step in the direction where eventually DoorDash could have their own uh, you know, restaurants of, of very like standard foods and just they would just be so perfectly optimized that they could probably sell food for cheaper. And I think it is an aspect. It's, it's something that people worry about, right? Like DoorDash getting into the actual space of making the thing. So it is kind of a scary step in that direction.
0: Potentially, if, if they do a good job of it, like if the food still tastes good. I think that's a lot of the That's the the it factor that you need as well.
1: Sure. Oh, yeah. But I've had yeah. Chowbotics, and they make a hell of a salad.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. Okay.
1: <laughs> they uh, drop the right amount of chickpeas. Anyway, should we wrap up?
0: Yeah, we, gotta wrap. we got to wrap. We have busy days here. Um, Daniel, it was great to catch up. Great to chat with you. We'll be back in a couple weeks with more stories.